The Koi Gig Pod. For me, it's difficult because if Chelsea aren't playing well or they need something to get someone to get them out of it, I don't think they have it. So I think they're in a difficult place. Subscribe to the feed in the OTB Sports app now. Off the ball daily. Now you're very welcome along. So Tuesday's Off the Ball is coming at you. There were emotional scenes. If you were watching Cheltenham, you will know. Uh, provided a fairy tale finish for Honeysuckle, Rachel Blackmore aboard. It also. J1 that is underlined the brilliance of Constitution Hill. John Duggan reports this hour. Brian O'Driscoll is with us after eight o'clock talking all things Six Nations. Plus, it's a Champions League evening. Dan McDonnell will be long for the football show. Man City hosting Leipzig. One all from the first leg in Germany. 53106, the text number. We're at off the ball on Twitter. Uh, Richie McCormick, hello to you. Giddy up, Joe. Uh, indeed, Michael McCarthy. Good evening. Hello, folks. How are you? I'm great. Uh, so much to discuss. I mean, somewhere right now, there's a press officer running around Carton House after Mac Hansen saying, no, 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 training. We need to do some media training. And I, for one, hope Mac Hansen is never caught. Uh, he, should, he should be faster than the press officer, so he'll get away with it, I would think. So uh, I hope I, he's not not how he's wasting his energy this week, but go on. <laughs> he'll be trotting, press officer sprinting. Right. Just a little jog. Yeah. So, uh, ominously, when asked about the Irish-English rivalry, he said, I don't know if I should say too much. Yeah. But then he took a deep breath and off he went. I'll say it anyway. (laughs) So, uh, look, none of this is too serious, but it's just uh, wonderfully unusual, I suppose, given the general climate when it comes to players doing interviews ahead of crunch games. He said, there's a fair bit of hatred, isn't there? He said, it's good, though, because once the game's done, they're good lads like everyone else. Uh, Then he gets into the history part. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> How do you think Mac Hansen addressed the historical contentious relationship between Ireland and England? He referred to it as that shit happened how long ago? Uh, but it does add a bit of fire to the game. And uh, then he was asked, you know, I, I, growing up in Australia, you've you been aware of the Irish English uh, rivalry. And he said, oh, I think everybody hates England in general. So <laughs> it's, it's something I was aware of for sure. <laughs> <laughs> One of the English um, headlines went with Mac Hansen, everybody hates England. Yeah. And then he was asked about, you know, Owen Farrell, Andy, it's so interesting. And in fairness, he cracked a joke. He said, there'll be no moves run at own if he's playing. There'll be a lot of chat about lightly tapping him to the ground. Uh, I think it's great. And it's not meant in a bad way in the slightest, but it's a departure from what we used to. Yeah, and I think it will be taken as that, won't it? Like, I, I mean, so. I think people hear Mac Hansen talk once, and James Lowe is someone that's probably in a similar category, you know, and they sort of take them for the types of characters they are. Whereas I think if it was someone, if if James Ryan had come on with you last week and said, "What I'm really looking forward to is England because I particularly hate them," and then went on to answer <laughs> it about history and the way he did about Ireland's call, I think maybe the headlines would be slightly different. But that's not going to happen. Whereas with someone like Mac Hansen, like you just want those people to be as themselves and fun. And we have, uh, yeah, like I mean, the, the the moment on on TV when he got man the match in the last game where he knocked the mic and the cursing and so on. Like it was just like that was just so brilliantly human and happy, you know. And I just the more we can get out of these guys, the better. I hope I hope the press officer isn't sprinting. <laughs> around um, the camp well, after him at the moment. A- as a- apparently, Andy Farrell jumped in and said, this is going to bring on more adversity. <laughs> it's a great thing. Bring it on, baby. <laughs> yeah. uh, when Mike Hansen has three man of the matches in eight games, he 
can say what he Does bloody he, well yeah. likes. Yeah. God, yeah. that's unreal. I think what an impact he's had. Like, extraordinary. I, I still feel his amazing try in Paris last year remains somehow underrated from the kickoff. Yeah. When we ran a full sprint and it just landed perfectly and kept going. Yeah. It was a unique try, wasn't it, at the time? It. I remember thinking I'd never seen that before. before or, or since. since. Yeah. Or since. Got us back into the game and then ended up a game we could have won. Like, yeah. So, But other than, like, before that, I can't say that Mackenzie was massively on my radar. I have to, And then oh. to, 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 to think of that impact in just 12 months. It was a knowns radar. That he's had is unbelievable. He went into camp and suddenly Andy Farrell, as Andy Farrell tends to do with certain players, Gibson Park included, seems to see things fairly quickly and decide on a player and says, yes, you're actually going straight in, which is what happened with Hansen and he's been vindicated massively. I think it also underlines this talk pre-game that, you know, 10 years ago, there's a fear that anything you say could somehow affect what's going to happen on the pitch. Whereas now, and especially when this team are this good, I think there's an understanding that words and talk are 99.9% irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter if he comes out and says we're going to pump England by 20, I think. Yeah. Different sports people you talk to will have different views on that, I think. You know, I think there is still a cohort of people that think that that little bit of anger, that little bit of extra motivation, you know, can actually make a difference on the day. And it can, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago on a side tangent, I think. But I think in this case, Ireland's level of confidence and so much so that they can have that kind of interview where he is so relaxed he can make jokes about it I think is taken very differently than an arrogant yeah we're going to win the match we believe we're better than England and that's you know it's a very different type of vibe and I think what England will see in that is oh shit Mm. Ireland are so so up for this so relaxed there's no extra motivation that can be taken from that kind of it's you know do you understand what I mean it's a very very different type of confidence slash even arrogance in a way it's not the kind of one that you get super angry with it's the one that you almost get disheartened by yeah it is funny though that shit happened how long ago now (laughs) I think Paul Rouse is probably going hang on I went and gave you guys a lecture on this It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> Everybody hates England. What a headline. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, I assumed Ireland hated England because everyone does. Yeah. Now that he's, uh, uh, you know, fully fledged Irish, not that, you know, always qualified and so on, but I'm glad he didn't say the palms, I have to say. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like he's, he's, he's an Irish guy now, like, you know. He sure is. So uh, we should get moving. Alan in Dublin. I'm so tired of the... Another great day for the Irish at Cheltenham narrative. Oh, me too. Oh, because Alan finished his text by saying, I feel like I'm alone in this. No, I said this today. So we were watching the Arkle and uh, Willie Mullins and Paul Townend won the Arkle. And it's the second race today. And Shane and the office goes, oh, two out of two for the Irish. And I go, we have to stop with this for the Irish thing. We're the bad guys. Yeah. You know, and we have to, it's like this. Not that like any particular person is the bad guys. But in this, we are... The New York Yankees, Dion, for want of a better word. Dion, and Dion Fanning called us the Man City of horse racing at the weekend. Yeah, well, there you go. Does right? anybody it, celebrate it from that aspect, though? Does anybody go like turn away from Cheltenham after Friday and go, yes, we got 18 winners. Yeah, we... Britain well, only got five or whatever. If we haven't, I think it's, it's a very... If we don't anymore, if we don't, it's a very recent thing. Because it used to be a really big deal that, like, the Irish are getting winners. and But it was a, it was a spread of trainers and it was... Various different things where now as we're talking about like, you know, three trainers and the odd story here and there in the way that there used to be that I think is still celebrated. Yeah. You know, whereas like it's hard, like and it's not to be not even proud of what people like Willie Mullins and Henry de Bromhead have achieved. That is still there. 
but it is also just hard to get excited about the fact that they have all these resources now and all these owners are going to those yards rather than Nicky Henderson or Paul yeah. Nichols or something to say, oh, look at this, aren't we beating we're mighty not, England? It's not like that no, anymore. It's gone, it's gone from like, oh, we had two, three winners in a festival and let's really lean into those stories and celebrate them to, oh, the Presbury Cup is hotly contested. This is interesting. Yeah. Oh, we're after winning one. To now the Presbury Cup is a total formality. It's just a case of how many Ireland will win by and even it was emblematic of the whole situation the first race the commentator ITV commentator is commentating away and it's you know a win for uh, and he goes it's a 1-2-3 for Ireland yeah. and he goes actually now that I'm looking here the first eight horses home are Irish <laughs> now, we always did do well in the Supreme Novices but yeah that's a, that, that's a little bit extreme we had a good chance didn't we <laughs> yeah I think so, so I, I don't know how it, you know it, the, you I still, you you still look for stories like I, th- I think the, the, the day for the Irish thing I agree with the texter I still think you look for stories like you know Flooring Porter and you know like even just like these smaller trainers like Mouse Morris back in the day and all that that's still brilliant um, but I feel like it's almost the nationality part of it should be lost that it's almost like we should be going for the small trainer to make the breakthrough over the Titans such as Mullins know, and you, Nicky Henderson you know what I mean and take nationality out of it like. I know but you still have to keep track for the Presbury Cup so well the Presbury Cup's very important yeah and the graphic the cool graphic that they have with the two flags you know that they put on the on the yeah but no, but course. genuinely you can't just retire the Presbury Cup because it's not going well they have to <laughs> it would look pretty bad from a British point of view if they decided there was no more press free cup Cancelled. yet because they can't win it anymore yeah so John's with us John Duggan at Cheltenham he's been speaking to Rachel Blackmore speaking to Henry de Bromhead and we'll play those interviews after half past seven it's where you're starting Richie in the news round which is brought to you with Gillette Labs get the ultimate mm-hmm. shave or your money back Neon Night edition is available now so uh, give us the general synopsis of the day yeah, there's a fairy tale ending to the career of Honeysuckle at the Cheltenham Festival this afternoon. The Rachel Blackmore Mount won the mayor's hurdle for trainer Henry de Bromhead, coming home a length and a half ahead of Love Envoy. It was Honeysuckle's fourth consecutive grade one victory at the festival and brought some uh, pretty emotional scenes and afterwards in the parade ring. Earlier in the afternoon, odds on favour Constitution Hill won the day's feature at the champion hurdle. The Nico de Boinville Mount, trained by Nicky Henderson, romped home ahead of 72 shot state man. 66 to 1 outsider Zanahir was third for trainer Gordon Elliott. Elliott had to wait until the penultimate race of the day to bag his first winner 18 to 1 shot Jazzy Matty took the Boodles juvenile handicap hurdle under uh, Jockey pardon me I'm just after losing my place there because I'm after scrolling down too fast uh, but yeah Gordon Elliott waiting until the penultimate race of the day to pick up his first win uh, that came under Michael O'Sullivan and that was the Cork Jockey's second winner of the day after he caused an upset aboard 92 shot Marine Nacional in the opening race of the Festival of Supreme Novices William Mullins claimed a fifth article in nine years with favourite El Fabiolo a comfortable winner Mullins also trained odds on favourite Gaillard de Mesnil to victory in the final race of the afternoon the amateur jockeys novices chase as Richie says it, it was emotional when Honeysuckle yeah. won returned to the parade ring <clears throat> incredible ovation uh, a hug of uh, intensity and meaning between Henry de Bromhead and Rachel Blackmore yeah, for obvious course, reasons yeah. and you know it, it's just so to the fore it was to the fore of uh, Rachel Blackmore's mind even uh, you know when first interviewed on ITV uh, aboard Honeysuckle by Mark Chapman no yep. that's his name yeah yeah. and you know straight away her thoughts are with the de Bromhead family and what they're going through and, and you, you see it in the de Bromheads that, that awful thing of 
uh, joyous moments are also some of the saddest moments. And, of course, uh, yeah, like for, tainted so, forever, but also yeah. continuing on, you know. And it's yeah, it's it's hard to even understand. Like, and, and it's funny, like even the honeysuckle story in itself would have all, all like that is still is still I think what's beautiful about Cheltenham is that you develop these relationships with horses over years, really, you know, and you know they come back and there's there's there is that Chelt- Cheltenham legend one last. But it's so much added meaning today. It's, mm. such, it's 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 almost that's almost irrelevant considering the context in this in the in this situation. It is. Rich mentioned Michael O'Sullivan as well, the jockey who won the first race, Marine Nationale, and uh, Jazzy Matty eighteen to one for Gordon Elliott in the Boodles Hurdle as well. He's someone to look out for. Interesting story. Was still in college last year, doing his degree in agricultural science. Uh, uh, got the two rides for Cheltenham today. Won both races, and they're saying this guy's serious stuff. Yeah. So another Irish jockey maybe to look out for. Absolutely, yeah. Great story. John Duggan going to join us half past seven and we'll chat mm. through the afternoon. Champions League then. Sorry, make your recommendation. No, 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 I wasn't. I was just going to say, you know, on the texter's point earlier about like, and it's like, I don't want me to be like painting Ireland as the bad guys, but I suppose it's just a, a level of like where we are as a nation, right? Do you know where I'm more comfortable? Do you remember the year, 100 years ago when the Grand National didn't go off properly? They wrecked the start a couple of times that they abandoned it. Because uh, yeah. they got the tape wrong. Oh, sorry, and I, was, I thought you were talking about the bomb threat for a minute there. No, no, it was it was close to that though. It was either the year before or a couple of years after or whatever. Yeah. But it was it was the second time a Grand National hadn't been run off, and uh, they got the start wrong. They didn't call it back in time. Some horses ran the race, some didn't. So there was no Grand National, and there was a guy on the BBC being interviewed by Des Lynham, who's an Irishman. And he was talking about the system that they have in Ireland over the system they have in the UK and made a statement which was like, and if in a backward country like Ireland they can get it right, then why can't we? (laughs) And there was uproar. That is where I kind of feel. I'm more comfortable being angry at the British for thinking that we're uh, kind of potato-eating leprechauns than actually being (laughs) better than them at something. Leave that to SNL, Mick. Exactly. Yeah, it's the Americans that are like that now. They're still doing it. They're still. The British are far too aware of what we're actually like. Well, you know, like it it is an interesting state of affairs. There's just a moment in time, and there are a lot of problems in this country. But you look at the wealth which has come in in the last twenty, thirty years, and you look at uh, where they are across the Irish Sea as the Tories really uh, ramp up the last uh, twelve years into what's going to be a glorious finale. (laughs) So we sit here on the Tuesday, and the Presbury Cup is obsolete. And yeah. Ireland, it's a question of how much they hammer England by to win the Grand Slam. World number one team in the world. Like, we're not doing too badly on a whole host of fronts. No. It's kind of insane. Yeah. This is not the childhood that we had. No, absolutely not. Like, I mean, beating England, you know, in the rugby was one of those once in a lifetime things where if it happened, it was like, well, hey. <laughs> and then it was like, right, we'll see you next year. 38 nil. Yeah. 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 Uh, I love Hanson like one of her own, but God, I really do love the bluntness of Aussie sports people, says Sarah in Galway. And it's just a lazy cliche to hate England, says John from Limerick. I think he's only joking. You hate the, uh, Tommy Tiernan once said it, you know, you don't hate England, you just want to see them lose in sport and war. I think it's gone through some of the wars I'm glad they won some of them but I, I, I yeah. take the point uh, Champions League 
Yeah, a couple of places up for grabs in the quarterfinals tonight. Manchester City and Orby Leipzig resuming level at a goal apiece for the second leg of their last 16 tie at the Eddie. Had to take you through the teams there. Manchester City have Ederson in goal, a back four of John Stones at right back, Manuel Akanji and Ruben Diaz are the centre half partnership. Nathan Ake is at the left hand side of their defence. Rodri anchors the midfield in front of him are the quartet of Ilkay Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva and Jack Grealish. Erling Haaland, as expected, leads the line. A few changes for Leipzig. Both uh, fullbacks have been changed and a couple of alterations in midfield too. Yanis uh, Blazvik continues in goal. They've got a back four of Benjamin Henricks, Willy Orban, Joshko Gvardiol and David Raum. In midfield, it's Kevin Campbell, Conrad Leimer and Amadou Haidara. Dominic Shabatelai, Emil Forsberg are in support of Timo Werner. Elsewhere tonight, Inter have taken a 1-0 lead with them to Portugal for their second leg with Porto and both of tonight's games kick off at 8pm. Liverpool at the Bernabeu tomorrow so the pre-match press conference is happening as we speak. It is, yeah. Just seeing quotes from uh, Fabinho and Jurgen Klopp rolling in saying if it's a 1% chance they'd uh, like to go for it. They are, of course, 5-2 down from the first leg against Real Madrid tomorrow night and Real Madrid boss Carlo Ancelotti said today that Karim Benzema is 100% fit for tomorrow night's last 16 second leg with Liverpool. The French striker sat out their weekend win over Espanyol with an ankle injury. Benzema may be fit, but Real will be without David Alaba. That is due to the thigh injury he sustained in the first leg at Anfield. So Klopp and Fabinho Tone at 1%. What chance in percentage terms do you give Liverpool of making the next round of the Champions League? Logically, zero. But you can't say what zero. has been happening with this competition? Mathematically, you can't say zero. Well, okay, 0.1 then. Okay. Percent, right? okay. But that's logically. Yeah. But what's that in, in real life logic doesn't play into the knockout stages of the Champions League. Like how many, it's, we've seen it too many times where a team has been 4-0 down or 3-0 down or... It's happened far too often over the space of like just 10 years. It's happened, I would say, eight times. But you're right? not saying more than 5%. Well, like, I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to but what I mean is, there's a part to me that is a complete neutral in this game. It doesn't care who's going to win. There's a part to me that thinks that we've got everything set up for one of those Champions League nights. Mm. One of those miracle nights that live on in the memory forever, like the Liverpool-Barcelona game, like the uh, Ajax Spurs, etc. Um so that's great that we're in that situation. The chances are it's going to be like a one-all draw or something like that and we have absolutely no drama whatsoever. But the fact is we can hope. Uh, John in Arklow says, Mick sounds like he has Stockholm Syndrome for the British. Is that what you sound like? What does that even mean? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm being, I've been kidnapped by the British and, and now I've started to like them. You miss their sporting dominance over us maybe? Yeah, like I don't really, I suppose. I, I just, you know, there's a there's a part of me in terms of my my comfort level at uh, Irish dominance is low, but it's because of the inbuilt inferiority complex that comes with being. Well, Irish. it's it's a more natural environment to be an underdog than it is to no. be lording over and literally anybody else. Doesn't matter if it's England or yeah. Australia, New well, Zealand. I, so I, tr- I, I think what Chantelow has maybe given us an insight into is how, say, take soccer, how the Germanys of the world feel for. 80 to 90% of their sporting existence, as in we're going to win the qualification group for the Euros. Mm. We're going to get through our group stage at the Euros and we'll probably get through the quarterfinal stages and then it gets interesting. Yeah. So now we're sitting here at Cheltenham Tuesday, the Presbury Cup, it's like, well, here we are. Do you lose joy in it though yeah. after, in the Whereas way that we have lost every, joy? In every the Irish match under Stephen Kenny now will be, you know, the build up and tension and disappointment we could do it we probably won't we might do it <laughs> and all of that yeah whereas Germany are just like yeah 
Yeah, we're the qualifi- we don't play any games basically between yeah. tournaments. So we're getting a glimpse yeah. of that. Germany are not, you know, we're going to win the Presbury Cup in football. <laughs> By uh, halfway through Tuesday. Kind of, kind of, kind of. So it's a, it's a glimpse maybe of, of what it's like to be a superior sporting nation. It's not as interesting as it sounds. We should almost be grateful for being average at a lot of sports. Yeah. I don't know. I'm willing to give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hansen may be the first rugby player in the last 10 years to give an interesting interview, says Anonymous. I think that's very harsh, actually. Yeah, uh, I agree. You know, I, I, I think some super interesting interviews given by rugby players over the last number of months. Even Take uh, Sunday Times at the weekend, and he gave a similar uh, interview Porter. to us. Andrew Porter, on the day of a match... On the day of a match, Andrew Porter, across two pages of the Sunday Times, is talking about losing his mother, Wendy, and remembers the funeral uh, happening the day before he was due to start secondary school and just the unresolved trauma and grief. And he developed a very serious eating disorder and lost all kinds of weight he shouldn't have been losing and turned it around and started going to the gym at 6am. He talked about being a Ben Dunn gym and then going to the gym afterwards and turning it all around. And now here he is and... He's yeah. doing it for his mother. Now, that's not dull. And it's the piece that you get to know somebody a little bit more from. And as, as you said, it appears on match day. It's exactly what we're hearing from GA journalists from the last, you know, the last 15, 10, 10, 15 years that they don't exist anymore. And they're the features we used to read on match days uh, in the Sunday papers. But they're gone. I would say that rugby, certainly of all the sports, doesn't have a, a big problem in the way the texts are. No, they've, they've good match day interviews in the papers. Obviously, look, the post-match interviews are generally poor unless it's James Lowe or Mac Hansen or Sexton's very but good there's always going to be people who just give you the bland and the work ons and the, yeah, the tech talk and stuff it's because they're not comfortable giving themselves but sure that's always going to be the case oh. with some people what I find in rugby is that they're not uh, sort of encouraged not to give anything or not to say anything mm. in the way that perhaps we've been critical of GEA a lot in the past um, in particular of like you know don't say anything to anyone for fear that it'll be used against you and I feel that rugby doesn't have that, at least to a massive degree, mm. and therefore you'll get the odd good interview. Uh, beating England and being better than them, being better than them at horse racing and rugby, which are Tory sports, is particularly sweet. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah, and we, you know, give them a good game of cricket as well every now and then. Uh, Simon Cooper on the Tories generally is worth listening to from yeah, last night. Yeah. So 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 interesting, and uh, we'll get to Richie's next story in a second. One. Um, text catching my eye because this struck me watching the Chatham coverage today as well so Kieran and Slyco uh, what is it about racing people that encourages talking about horses like their people this horse loves it here does he really <laughs> now, now that line I don't mind what they mean by this horse loves it here is they tend runs to runs well well yeah. track. <laughs> but there was a moment where <coughs> was it Constitution Hill was walking the parade anyway like they were talking about his kind eyes <laughs> And I, I like it. I thought, nah. <laughs> no. Nah, that's not, that's, don't be nah. cynical about these things. His kind eyes. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not saying he actually joke. has kind eyes, but I'm saying that it, it comes from a real place when people talk about these things. Whether it's nonsense or not, it's another matter, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I've never even said of a human they have kind eyes. <laughs> dark, anyway. dark eyes. Yeah. He won, he won by five lengths and he looks like a great lad as well. Yeah, he seems, he seems like a sound horse. I remember interviewing Ruby Walsh before, and he did liken horses to kind of five, six, seven-year-old people in terms of their playfulness, and I, I, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, are you a pet man? Who was it on Sky News? Their newsreader on Sky News when some 
some trip. It was uh, it Kate was Kate Burley said, yeah, uh, she, it was after the Paris attacks. Yeah, the sadness, of dog. Eyes. Yeah, the sadness yeah, yeah. in the dog's eyes. It was yeah. after the Paris attacks. Yeah, uh, that was infamous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, sorry. So 2030 World Cup, Richie. <laughs> Yeah, we should actually mention some uh, some breaking hurling news this evening. Uh, oh. Seamus Callanan is going to be in a race against time to be fit for the start of the Munster Hurling Championship. Uh, the tip forward has been ruled out for between six to eight weeks, according to Shane Brophy, with a medial knee ligament injury sustained in their game against Waterford. So that's a massive blow for Tip, who've had a horrible uh, run of injuries so far this season. As you mentioned there, Joe, Morocco is set to join Spain and Portugal's joint bid to host the 2030 World Cup. UEFA has given the green light for the Iberian nations to link up with Morocco in an effort to thwart a bid that involves Saudi Arabia. Ukraine would also be part of that bid, albeit in a very limited capacity should the war with Russia have ended by then. Saudi Arabia is to buddy up with Egypt and Greece and is offering to cover infrastructure costs for its partners. Meanwhile, the 2026 World Cup will be the longest ever and obviously 2030 will too, uh, with 104 matches. FIFA is abandoning plans to have 16 groups of three, with the 48 qualifiers to be split into 12 groups of four. 32 teams will go through to a new second round phase and it will go on for a million years <laughs> the last 32 what yeah. so you qualify out of the groups to get to where you would be now if you qualified for the World Cup es- essentially t- was it two thirds of the third place sides in the group phase will go through along with the first and second so ah, yay yeah. jeopardy so 12 groups of four and 32 teams make how, the second round how could that not be how could how is that not like as obvious to them as it is to us that it's ruining the World Cup oh, but they're not thinking in those terms they're calculating how much money they make from 104 matches as opposed to 80 matches. 104 matches sure, times multiple more territories who will be involved and they can charge over the yeah, odds okay. sponsors. Okay. You know, it's but it's like you Long can term see thinking, though you want the competition know, yeah. to be, uh, you know, the, the, the world to be wet, wet, waiting for it and to look forward to it. And maybe we'll all just get over it. And, and the thing is, the knockout stages will still be brilliant eventually. Yeah. So I, in a way, it's OK. But you can feel, you can see, you can, you can see it December, groaning. Though. You can see it groaning under the weight of all of this, though, now at yeah, this stage. Bit, bit. It's like, it's, it's t- like 30, was it, there was 64, is it 64 games in the 32 World Cup? I might, I might have got my maths wrong there. So. Uh, but like mid, mid-60s. And then like to add another 30, was it 30 or 40 games onto that? 40 games more? Yeah. Like, it's t- like, it. whatever about the specialists, we're talking about it being, perhaps being drawn in in terms of every two years. Like, to have so many matches you'll forget half, like more than half of them after a World Cup is, it's the studio pundits well, on the D team that I feel sorry for they're going to have a lot more Morocco's versus Japan's don't be dissing Morocco be, man I'm not dissing anyone I'm just saying there's World a lot Cup more don't, don't know all that many of their players <laughs> uh, you know. I was at the Ireland-Germany match in 02 says this texture World Cup match and after the game drinking in Tokyo with a few Germans I asked them why there were so few Germans at that game they turned to me and said they'll come for the semi-final and final and you'll be at home. Oh. <laughs> no need for that. <laughs> like, I mean, everything about it was accurate, but like... The last bit was unnecessary. And, and yeah, I didn't think they'd get to the, the final in 02. They were terrible, but they did. They were a brutal Germany. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. Carson Ramelow was like... Carson Yanker, Carson Ramelow, just all the Carsons. And they were just mucked. Oliver Neuville. This is an underwhelming group of German players. Still mm. made the final. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Closest. We could have two if we could count Mick. Scored about five or four goals against Saudi Arabia, I seem to remember, in the group stages. Yeah. He, anyway. got, he got five, I think, did he? Maybe. Yeah. We are pretty much done.